Welcome to a special edition of Thursday Mornings with Alex and Don. This episode is much longer, so it will be a two-part series. And joining us today is Pastor Melissa Warren. We will be discussing the differences of opinion on sexuality in the Christian church. So if you have kids that watch with you, you might want to pre-screen this episode. Otherwise, please enjoy the episode and like and subscribe and share with all your friends if you want to help us grow this ministry. Thanks. Enjoy. Welcome, everyone. This is going to be a special episode for us today. Um, if you've listened to us before, Don and I before, we talk a lot about having respect within disagreement. If we've all seen the damage done um, when we're arguing with people or when we don't really have respect for them and their opinions. Um, so this is going to be a special episode. This is not going to be a debate. If you came here for a debate, in the wrong place. A debate will not be helpful for this topic, but what is helpful is conversations, empathy, seeking understanding about these sensitive topics. So if you're listening to this, please enter into a mindset for learning, understanding. Um, seek first to understand. But again, if you're here hoping your side's going to win, you're going to leave here with more ammunition to use against opposing forces. Take a second and seek first to understand for this. So I'm grateful for both pastors that are here today to talk about the subject. Spent time with both of them, and I deeply respect both of their characters and their opinions. There will be times when they disagree, undoubtedly, and times they each want to make a point, make yourself heard, but I know that they have respect for one another and for the conversation at hand, for sure. Uh, and I'm forever grateful and uh, truly excited for this conversation as well. So, Pastor Don, and this is Pastor Melissa. Don Patterson, Melissa Warren, yes. Um, so I'd like to open it up. Um, who wants to go first, just kind of address what your beliefs on what God thinks about our uh, sexuality, about the Christian sexuality. Did I say that the right way? Yeah. I think so. I think be fruitful Is that and broad enough? Right? Yeah, okay. <laughs> Is that broad enough? All right, Don, you can head it off. <laughs> I set it off, but boy, I'm already in trouble. I like the thing you thought about character, and okay. I, all I could think was Donald Duck. I'm sorry. Oh, just yeah. went into my head right away. Yeah. But uh, I, I think uh, from my standpoint, when we talk about human sexuality, it's part of a life situation. And so you, how do we live? And uh, it's so common for me to want to live my way, do it my way, but when I realize reading the text of the Holy, Holy Scripture, then I, I, I need to do it God's way. And the more that I can steer it God's way, the better my life will be. The problem is, how do we get there? And how do we understand that? And I think that's where we meet head on in the human sexuality discussion. And uh, I think that's probably where the misunderstandings have come. Just exactly how do we get where we want to get. So uh, I come from a, a, a high view of Scripture, uh, uh, studying Greek and Hebrew, and, and so that's where I come from to the text. Um, I don't, as far as textual criticism, I, I go back to F.F. F. Bruce, and I'm sort of uh, old school on textual criticism. Um, I believe that it's one man, one woman for life, but we realize that doesn't always happen. Life happens. And God has got a lot of grace. Oh, sure. 
So I believe the doors of the church are open for all sinners to come in. And when we come with uh, questions about human sexuality, well, we've all got sex. We all are either male or female, or, or uh, and we. It's one of the issues we bring to life. That's probably enough. To get started with, hey? Okay. Yeah. Um, I kind of looked at you, Alex, because your question was about God's thoughts on. Yeah, I know that was. And immediately it came to mind the quote attributed to Einstein: "I want to know God's thoughts. The rest are details." Yeah. Um, so. I'm not going to pretend that I can speak for God's thoughts, but in my experience of God and my experience of God through the church and through vocation, um, my understanding of human sexuality is um, a little bit more of a spectrum, I guess. Very little in the world is black and white for me, and I'm very good about seeing shades in other directions. And I think human sexuality is one of those areas that there isn't a clear black or white. Um, there have even been times in my own life where I felt differently um, about my own relationships and the way I participated, and so I'd like to keep that in mind as well. Um, but in general, I think human sexuality is something that is God-given. It's part of God's good creation and is individualized in a great extent because as I said each of us thinks and feels and experiences in our own way and that includes how we perceive ourselves as sexual beings um, very much I believe in the importance and the significance of monogamy um, for for safety for right relationship for the building of a relationship that's more than just a physical presence. Um, but that always raises questions. Um, if someone has been in a relationship, for example, where things were abusive, you know, I am not willing to say that, well, now sexually this person cannot be with another person in a healthier relationship. Um, but I also, um, Sorry, my brain blinked for a second. Um, but it to all of us. <laughs> Amen. It does. Um, but I also feel that I don't have the right to say what someone else's experience is in terms of good or bad. Um, and also, the tradition that I come from doesn't necessarily name pointing out sin in the same way as other traditions. And something like an inborn tendency is not necessarily a sin. It may go against some sort of understood human moral law, but it's still part of God's good creation. And I think sexuality is a big part of that. Okay. That's good. So actually, I'll ask you first, um, when, I'm sure there's a lot that went into from your history, just to form all of these opinions, right? A lot of, you know, we talk about tradition and a lot of it's just, you know, lived experiences. Um, I guess it could be with both of you, but do we agree on what the Bible says about sexuality? Meaning, or, or, or a sexual relationship? Or are we thinking that, or do you maybe think that it's open to 
little. Well, it depends on, do you mean of what constitutes a sexual relationship or what constitutes appropriate sexual relationship? Appropriate, mm -hmm. I guess. I would say that interpretation is a big part. So I don't, yes, scripture is absolutely primary mm -hmm. with the added on okay. that we do have to interpret it through the lens of many other things. Okay. So yeah, that's, that's what I was kind of wondering. Like, I mean, do you think that the, the written text, does it condone same sex marriages? Um, it doesn't condone monogamous same-sex marriages in much of the Old Testament. Okay. It doesn't, um, it doesn't promote appropriate treatment of, of women or people of no power. Um, it depends on what you're seeking. And it also depends on if you're looking through a lens of love and relationship or if you're looking through a lens of legality, I think. Okay. Okay. So it's a little bit of a, a lived experience that we can see what the Bible says and kind of apply it to today? Um, I think we always just have to be cautious and remember that certain portions of the Bible, for example, the Hebrew scriptures, the, the Old Testament texts, um, were written more as a, as a history or written more to um, identify some specific marks of the people of God in a time okay. and place. And to just randomly take those and try to plop them onto 21st century living can be dangerous. Mm -hmm. um, can be very effective also, but can be dangerous. Yeah. And so um, I just use that caution, I guess. Okay. Anything to add? Well, I, I guess I'd echo that. Uh, I'd be a little bit... I, I'd add the, ends, the lens of Jesus when Absolutely. I when I take oh, yeah. I take the uh, four gospels and say okay when you talk about the the injustices thing and the, and the thing that came to mind right away was well yeah but Jesus saw women differently than his contemporaries and so by looking with the lens of Jesus uh, I can take the scriptures and I maybe I'm highlighting the the four gospels and raising them a little higher than the other scriptures in that aspect um, but I, I yeah I, I maintain that high view of scripture I'm a little more black and white maybe yeah yeah I would bit. be surprised if you weren't <laughs> <laughs> yeah well good I was gonna be disappointed if we weren't gonna disagree on something oh, today. God, yeah, it's spiced up right yeah okay well let's let's talk so polygamy yes no no definitely no, no. okay premarital sex no oh, I'm no, it's okay I, to have I a different know. opinion. No. Um, in general, no, but I think every circumstance has to be looked at carefully. Um, if a marriage um, covenant is being forced upon someone, um, or if a marriage covenant is simply to satisfy some sort of common moral law, um, I would say there are different ways to look at that. Um, Honoring the gift of sexuality outside of marriage is absolutely essential. So, um, what do you mean by that? Well, that one kind of went past me a little bit. That's okay. Um, is that any sexual relationship, be it premarital or within the marriage covenant, 
um, needs to have respect for the emotions, the needs, and the cultural place of, from where it's taking place. So um, if a couple is unable to enter into a traditional marriage covenant for a variety of reasons, um, perhaps they are, well, I can't think of one off the top of my head, but um, that the honoring of the relationship itself is more important than a piece of paper, I guess is what I'm trying to say. So a couple that might be considered engaging in premarital sex might have some sort of impediment that keeps them from entering into a formal legalized marriage covenant, but that doesn't mean that they don't have that respect and that care and that um, intention with each other already. Okay. So kind of like in the eyes of God, they, their intention is made clear, even though they don't have a legal piece of paper. We I mean, can say I, that, right. yeah. I, I think of couples who their social security get, was in danger because mm -hmm. if they get married, then they give up half their social security kind of thing. Is that sort of what you're headed oh, toward? That's, that's one of them, yes, okay. yes. Or um, not every place is um, like the United States or specifically like, yeah. like yeah. Iowa where people are protected within the marriage covenant. And so there might be times where due to family disagreement in a particularly patriarchal society, for example, if the father of a young woman doesn't approve of a relationship, it might not be a bad relationship. It might be a holy and healthy and fully life-giving relationship, um, but the father's not going to allow the young woman to marry, for example, or different things mm -hmm. like that. Okay. I, what caught me off guard is the fact that in the tradition I came from, it seems like the only time there's confession in church is when a young couple all of a sudden, well, young ladies get married and they got to confess in front of church and then get married. And we're supposed to be a confessing church where we confess our sins one to another. And uh, I, I just, just found it ironic. That seems to be the only time anybody gets up and confesses. <laughs> yes. Um, and in my 26 years of pastoral ministry, um, of all the weddings that I've done, um, there has been one time where the couple was not already living together and obviously engaging in premarital relations. Um, you know, a lot of times people want to come and solemnize that covenant, but they already have children together. Um, so it's hard to tie the two things together because there are so many different yeah. relationships and so many different things going on with it. Yeah. yeah. But in the purest form. In the purest form, absolutely. In an ideal world, absolutely. Which yes. doesn't happen in our address right now. You know? <laughs> I was going to say, I, I want to move to that address if yeah. it exists, but, but yeah. Mm -hmm. Ideally. Wait sure. till marriage. Yes, yes. absolutely. Yeah. And only marriage and only that one marriage. Should we ask him? Mm? <laughs> <laughs> For marriage? You go ahead. <laughs> oh, that's all right. You may have to edit this piece. No. <laughs> huh? I know. Ask me what? Did I you wait till marriage? I did not. I did not. But I see the value. I didn't seem, I didn't think, see, when I was younger, I didn't think, I knew it was important, right? And I remember thinking, you know, you know, I guess I'll just have to sin for this much longer until I get married and then it won't be a sin. And, 
man, that was dumb. I and we still think a lot of you. I know. I uh, yeah. I, well, and and Alex, the the question in that would be, um, well, and you don't have to answer, but the the next step of the question would be, were the relationships that you did engage in sexually were they were they whole life giving? You know, was their intention to be together forever kind of idea? Yeah, but they weren't. I see the difference between that and marriage. So that's, I have a hard time with that. There wasn't, it wasn't, it was a commitment, but it wasn't the commitment, right? It still wasn't that, you know, I'll be with you forever. I want to, but we haven't, you know, we haven't said it in front of everybody. We haven't, you know, expressed on our vows. And, and when I think of Charlene and I, we did not have premarital sex. But honoring that covenant, knowing that the world is as crazy as it is, mm -hmm. when we wrote our vows, instead of saying, until death do us part, we said, as long as we walk this road together. Hmm. Just knowing the fact that this world's just a tad bit crazier than we really know whether we can make that covenant and have it stick for the 42 years it's stuck. Mm -hmm. So... I think part of it is, where do we put the bar? And then how do we expect each other? Do we all jump the bar at the same? Do we give a little grace to each other? And I'd say that comes to the point where we, when we meet on Sunday morning, we're not meeting as a bunch of polished saints. We're, be, we're meeting as sinners needing the grace of God. And that's why we need to keep the doors as, as open to m as many people as we possibly can and uh, understand that, that God's a God of grace. Absolutely. And just from a, a purely numbers type of perspective, the number of people who have come into a church to witness a marriage, witness a wedding, and had their first experience in a church that was positive, um, those numbers are staggering to me. And then to know that those people come back or, at the very least, they consider that pastor who performed that ceremony someone that they can go to. And I think it's a, you know, there's many good things all the way around. And you try to tie too many things together, and it takes the good out of it. Yeah. I, I know what you're saying, though, with the I don't, going to a wedding, and I, I guess maybe you don't, I'm sure you go to weddings where you're not the pastor, right? Yeah. <laughs> oh, yes. Where we're right. invited, you yeah. know. Yeah. But that experience, you know, is you're like, I, 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 joyous occasion. This is awesome. I know that I can talk to that person. Yeah. Mm -hmm. um, and I like what you were, so kind of touching on what you were talking about, how, you know, the church was supposed to be a place where, you know, we confess, confess our sins to each other, where we can openly struggle with each other. That's what it's supposed to be all about. Um, but Don, like, like, let me see. Hold on. Um, we don't really want the topic of sexuality to be like an inclusion ex exclusion, like binary, like that. Um, I know you said black. You are a little more black and white, but I don't think this is like this church is for those who are committed to straight relationships, and everyone else can you know be gone. That's it's not what we want, right? That's not what I want. Definitely no. But. How do we address the historical Christian value, which would make someone feel unwelcome or unaccepted? 
but accept it because there's a lot of view of this theology is a little unwelcome. We have a hard time communicating the fact that the doors of the church are open to everyone because we really have lost the aspect of discipleship. In other words, we, we start as Christians where we're at. God will meet us where we're at. No matter where that is, God will meet us there. But he doesn't expect us to stay. And none of Jesus' disciples ended up remaining the <laughs> individuals they started as. <laughs> Except maybe Judas Iscariot. But all the others, all the disciples we see as we go through the book of Acts have been transformed by the experience of Jesus. And I think that's what the church is all about. Yes, come into the church. You may not understand everything we do the first Sunday you come, but come. And maybe Jesus will rub off on you like he's rubbed on, a, on us. And discipleship is starting where you're at and having more mature Christians walk you closer and closer to the image of Christ, which we're all still working to, main, to uh, get a hold of because we haven't got there yet. Mm -hmm. And I think that discipleship piece, the church today has lost. We just want them in the door. Make sure you get your tithe in the offering. And thank you. Have a great week. Bless you. And, and we're not working to grow deeper in Jesus. And I think if there's anything we must be doing, especially in this generation, the generations that are younger than I am, we've got to do the discipleship. And basically, it's our generation that needs to hap help it happen. Yeah. And uh, we've dropped the ball. I've dropped the ball off more often than I picked it up. But that's something our generation needs to be doing. I think there's a lot of competition, too, for time and attention now, too. It's, you know, we come to worship service. This is worship. But then there's Sunday school. You know, you got Bible studies. And that's where you're really growing and learning together. But we invest in anything that we find adds values to life as value to life. And so it doesn't matter whether it's uh, basketball or baseball or uh, mini league or whatever they got out there now. Uh, if it adds value to life, we invest in it, correct? Archery, right? Hunting. Sure, yep, yeah, yeah. Fishing. Mm -hmm. If it adds value to life, we invest in it. Mm -hmm. Well, I think the church needs to be a place that's doing such a good job, being so personable, so interactive with each other that it's a place I want to invest. Mm -hmm. And I see that with our Bible study guys. Yeah. You know, we didn't want to call it off for summer. We want to invest in each other. And, uh, and the guys who were out planting last night really wish they could have been there. Yeah. But they need to get that crop in. Yep. Bottom line. So we understand. We walk with each other. Melissa, what do you think about that? the historical context, you know, how the church is perceived. Um, well, I came across a great quote um, as I was telling Don and you before. Um, I like to have some notes. I like to have something that helps my brain. And the quote was, the church does not have a theology. That's for individuals. The church has doctrine. Um, and people's theology can be different. But doctrine is one of those things that people have to hold in common. And that's important because if we are saying 
we want to be a church that only has straight couples um, in it, then we have to figure out where in our doctrine that fits. And then we have to define how tight that doctrine fits. We only want straight couples who've never been divorced before. We only want straight couples who, um, you know, we don't ask the question of, is this a healthy marriage? Is, um, is there something deeper here? Is this an abusive relationship? Is this a relationship based on um, convenience? You know, we don't, we have to decide what part of that we can define. And then you just get in all sorts of trouble. And so that opens it back up to say the church is a place for people to come, learn about Christ, be discipled. Um, and what comes out on the other end might not fit in that nice little box that people think we've created with doctrine. Okay. But we, I still like to keep the bar. And, and to me, the Bible, Bible has the bar. So I want to strive in that direction. And how to, it's hard to be both. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Oh, absolutely. Again, in an ideal world, this would be a different conversation. But there's nothing ideal about our world. And there's nothing um, ideal about being able to define what's in people's hearts and lives when they come into the church. We, we can't be judging on them. Um, but we also can't be completely blind to what they bring with them from the world. Including their wounds. Absolutely. Yeah. Absolutely. So, many people that kind of identify as like LGBTQ feel shunned and betrayed by the church. I think I, I, there's been like polling from people who don't go to church. You know, what's the why do you not go to church? And I think ever since they done started doing polling like 80 or 90% of the answers is they don't like gay people. They don't let gay people come in. The Christians, they hate the gays. How, how do we heal that? Well, first of all, I challenge any time that something is that 80 to 90%, I challenge the survey itself. Oh, yeah. Um, knowing that it is, it's looking for somebody mm -hmm. to answer in a certain way. Um, I think very few actual Christian people going to church let homo human sexuality be one of the top issues on their mind when they come in the door. And so... Um, it's just the, the poll is like how, how these people perceive the church. So, right. you know, they probably get A, B, C, or D. One of them is because they don't like, you know, gay people or... Well, and, and it would have to do with what's been the news leading up to, what's mm -hmm. been available in media, um, what kind of resources did the survey people hand the person before they ask the question. I mean, I would, I would question the validity of that. Oh, well, sure. Um, well, and part of the reason I would question that validity, too, is um, it's not true across denominations. It's not true across different traditions in the same way. And so that would be the next thing, to paint all denominations, all congregations with the same brush of church yeah. is very disingenuous. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Probably a little bit of a lack of understanding on whoever would be answering that is why, what churches have you looked at kind of a thing. And I sort of wonder why are we sensationalizing the issue of human sexuality oh, yeah. when, when the sins represented in the congregation that we aren't addressing <laughs> uh, aren't being 
aren't dividing us. Now, why, why isn't gossip a sin that's big enough that we're addressing it? Why isn't uh, pride a sin big enough that we're addressing it? In the same way, I, part of me it resents the fact, I hate to say it that strongly, I, I, agree I resent you. the fact that the culture has put it on the church mm-hmm. to make this the issue. Absolutely. And uh, I was in a, we, we had a conversation much like this in, in the Mennonite church and two lesbian ladies were uh, on, the, on the opposite side. Interestingly enough, we agreed on that. Mm-hmm. And when things came down the denomination that didn't suit either one of us, we wept together coming out of that assembly because we realized, hey, it, why this of all things when we could, we could agree to, to disagree and, and walk together, but it hurt us all in the denomination, denomination as well. That was just a snippets of what's going on here. It's, it's the culture has put this on the church and the church and didn't need it. <laughs> oh, we had enough stuff going on already. Yes, and I think the culture has put it on the church for a very long time, um, maybe unnecessarily, or maybe because we got too wrapped up in cultural um, shifts at an early age or time, and that just really colored where we went from there. And I say that mostly um, as speaking from the United Methodist perspective. Our denomination was formed in 1968. Um, and in 1972, sort of when the, the sexual revolution was going to be from one thing to another and, and people were talking about agency over their own bodies and all of that, that's the first time that the denomination really got into this conversation. And unfortunately, because culture was unsettled and culture was in a, a strange place, the denomination never got the chance to not be unsettled and in a strange place. And so here, 50 years later, we are still having the same conversation because culture hasn't done its thing. Um, and we're unable to know how to be relevant while dealing in a culture that doesn't know what it wants. Yeah, yeah the, the, the culture wants us to answer it, solve it. Everyone make up their minds. And, and they want answers they like. Yeah. Oh, yes, I mean, because it's very easy to villainize once somebody has made a statement that you consider their bedrock statement. Also, I, I feel I, it's not the right type phrasing, but it's a little bit of a, I don't know, I'm not going to say it that way, but someone, it's easy to not come to terms with, you know, your, what you believe. Like, what, what do you believe about your life? Where do you think you came from? You know, is there a God kind of a thing? It's easy to say, well, I'm not a Christian because they don't, they don't even let uh, homosexuals go to church. So obviously I'm not that. <laughs> it's very easy to dismiss the Christian faith. I've heard that, so, but I'm sure that's not widely. But it became fodder for the conversation. Yeah. That's, yeah. It, it has not helped the church. No. No, it has not. Yeah, like you said, there's the plenty sad, of other sins that we don't address, which we... But the sad thing is, we're also not bringing a culture closer to Jesus. And, and we've even used this as an excuse to remain silent and not share Christ. 
because, well, I don't want to offend somebody because I am a Christian and they might take me as this and this, and, and so I can't do that. Or even just not be willing to say I am a Christian um, because I don't want to destroy that relationship. That's often the, the place I find myself is I don't lead with, hi, I'm a United Methodist pastor because I know that that's going to limit and immediately alienate parts of the relationship. Whereas I know that God can be doing great things through another person when I'm in relationship with them and we, we see where we agree, we see where we can offer comfort and support. And then, oh, by the way, <laughs> mm -hmm. um, and it's not because I'm ashamed, but I just know that the, it's kind of a club. Yeah. And I don't want it to be that because that's not why I came into leadership in the church so that I could go around and flaunting it um, and using it like a club. Mm -hmm. It's supposed to be the person you're supposed to, that everyone sees and can come to with every, every problem, have that good relationship. And that's why I was so attracted to both of you when you're just so friendly, so personal, so, yeah. yeah. Oh, that was it. Okay. That was it. <laughs> Uh, I wondered what he liked about it. That remember. was all I could think okay. of. Uh, okay. I exhausted his mind at that point. Yep, yep, yep. Well, it's interesting because you said that, and I, I was, that, that history is almost the same thing that we went through. Mm -hmm. Because we tried to get the Confession of Faith together in 1995, bring two denominations together in 2001, and this all blew up in 2015 and continues to blow little bits and pieces. And so when I say I'm a Mennonite pastor, and they think MCUSA, and I say, no, I'm not MCU. Then they think I'm Amish. Where's your hat? Where's your horse? Yeah. Um, it, it's just, it's, it's maddening. Um, and so we try to do as much ministry as we can outside of denominational um, restriction or outside of people's perception of the denomination. Um, but I also find that there are times when someone will say, oh, you're United Methodist, well, they'll say, you're Methodist. And I'll say, because of where you're going here with the conversation, I want to clarify that I'm United Methodist. Well, what's the difference? And that's when I, I take the opportunity to say, well, the United Methodist denomination only was able to form when things like um, issues like not um, segregating African-American congregations, when that was worked out, because segregation was not okay. Um, it was only, we could only become a denomination when um, women were allowed to be in the pulpit and allowed to be ordained. You know, some denominations didn't. And so being United Methodist is part of a whole larger picture. And so if you're going to paint me with a brush, at least paint me with the one that I've chosen mm -hmm. for myself. Yeah. And I come from that same kind of thing. Yes. Yeah. Uh, you know, Mennonite, Amish our uh, brother denominations, if you will. And now Ivana, which is where I'm a pastor, is uh, not, it's not Mennonite. We chose not to use the Mennonite. We're Anabaptist because, uh, and nobody knows what Ivana is. <laughs> so I get to explain it all over again. I figure so you just like operate with a mysterious kind oh, of. Oh, mysterious. Yeah. I, I could operate mysteriously. Yeah. Yeah. I'm capable. Yeah. Um, so enough of, I guess, yeah, maybe we should move on from the, you know, our, how we feel about the culture and how it, 
makes us feel because it's well, I mean that's important to us, but that's not our mission really is it how how do we I don't know that we're to rescue the culture as much as people from the culture into yes. the Christ community. And, and uh, the sanctuary is called this because it's to be a safe place. It's to be a place of protection and, and uh, a place of solace. It's a hospital from what's going on in the world. The problem is we don't treat it that way. And we're not seeking to bring people into it who need it as much as I'd like to see it. Yeah. And I, what, what I find interesting is when I was in a church plant, that group got it. And they brought in the, the, the poor, hungry souls that needed, needed Christ. Uh, the trouble is the offering plate was really pretty scant. And, and I think we also need to realize that there's a lot of souls out there that need it that we won't approach because they, we think they have everything and they've got everything but Jesus. And they need him too. Mm -hmm. okay. uh, I wanted to, we did a little bit of the church history on this a little bit. Um, how did that evolve? Like, can we go back even further? Because I, something I was kind of thinking about was, um, you know, back like a hundred years ago, or maybe even recently as 60 years ago, 50, um, like the the church and the sex was like a um, like a gross thing. We don't talk about it. A no, gross so thing. Did a you gross. Say? A growth uh, thing. Gross <laughs> thing. We don't talk about it. It's not one of those things that we talk about. And but then I've heard other people be like, "Oh, I talk to my kids about you know sex all the time." And you know, and then the kids are like, "Yeah, literally all the time." See, we didn't have to talk about it as Mennonites because. That was our only means of evangelism <laughs> for many, many years. We had 10 kids and the church grew. Ah, right. so. Well, and Alex, I don't know that you can pick an arbitrary period in history. No, I don't think um, I was. Yeah. And I'm not criticizing, okay. but I'm just thinking um, if you don't go far enough back, then you're really stuck in American development and the development of the country. And that sort of is a whole muddy issue that changes everything. Um, but stepping back, let's say, to uh, the Catholic Church, back before the Protestant Re the Reformation. Yes. Sorry, Protestant Reformation is not an easy word to say. You're right. Um, things like um, the church feeling the need to create doctrine about whether or not Mary was a virgin when Jesus was born. Um, you know, on, an, on a sort of higher level, we can say, well, it was about the sinlessness of Jesus and and all of that. But a big part of it also was about sex. And the fact that Mary had not had sex, which is what the ver word mm -hmm. virgin intimates, um, meant that Mary wasn't tainted by sin. Well, then that goes back to saying that the fall in the Garden of Eden was about sex. No, it really wasn't. It was about breaking covenant relationship with God. And it very quickly just gets all muddied up and messy and so regardless of where culture stands on thinking or talking about sex um, it it still gets thrown in there and it works its way into doctrine in ways that people don't realize 
and then it starts to inform thinking and behaviors that aren't necessarily of God as much as they are of the church. Um, so, and, and then there's always, depending on what kind of culture you come from, the, the Puritans had a big influence on how people think still in this country today. And I have nothing against the Puritans. However, um, there are some things about lifestyle that just do not, do not gel with other parts of the world, do not gel with other cultural understandings, ex expectations. And so um, go, finding one time mm -hmm. you know, where sex was a taboo topic and icky is tricky. It really is. And even, even our Amish brothers who separate themselves from the world, mm -hmm. even in this culture and in this time, uh, they also have some of these things going on and uh, manage it as best they can. Mm -hmm. um, they still use the ban. They still use excommunication. Uh, I'm not sure. I guess I don't have a quote as to how many times that's helpful and how many times that's caused more harm than good. Mm -hmm. yeah. Well, and ultimately that's about maintaining community. Mm -hmm. it, it's not so much about, um, well, I'm, I'm not trying to sound expert in any form, but it's, it's about the, the sanctity of the community is at risk, not so much the action itself, but anything that's going to keep the community from forming. And for cultures and communities like denominations that are not a closed system, um, we're a little bit more available to take on these things because we don't know what's being threatened or we don't know um, what comprises us in the first place. Mm -hmm. It kind of seems like sex has been like just like the number one topic for ever as far as the question. It's the spiciest one. Well, it sure is. Well, it gets the most interest and most imagination. Kicked off a lot of wars. Mm -hmm. um, gave us lots of, of, of moral examples in the Old Testament. Um, really colored the world in general mm -hmm. from Genesis 1-1 all the way through. As soon as God gave human beings the ability to self-differentiate from God, um, that was one of the topics that yeah. came right in. Thank you for joining us for part one of this discussion. Please tune in next Thursday to hear the rest.